Hey buddy, I hoid the droughts moving in, muscling in on your turf. To make matters worse, the man keeps telling you to limit your spigot. That drought is bad news, no fooling. But me and my boys can help. The water boys, on the water zone, Thursday nights at six. We'll help you protect your turf and save water. And hey, don't worry about it. Consider it a gift. Yeah, Louie, you heard the boss. We gotta listen in at 6 p.m. on Thursday nights. Okay, Vinny, you got it. The water zone, Thursday nights at 6 p.m. I'll tell our lawn it's now protected. Broadcasting studios of KCAA 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful downtown San Bernardino, California. Thanks for tuning into the Water Zone Show. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Starr. Uh, Mr. Mike Barron is off this week as it is our Ag Show Week. And hosting tonight's show will be our team from our micro irrigation division, Ms. Inge Bisconer and Mr. Paul McFadden. So, welcome, guys. How are you? We're doing great, Rob. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, right. Rob. Great. Well, we've got a great lineup tonight, uh, Rob, as always. Uh, we're going to be talking about how professionals and some of our uh, government resources help farmers improve their irrigation practices on the farm. Absolutely. And for anybody who wants to call in and talk to them, uh, the local number is 909-888-5222. And long distance, it's 888-909-1050. So the show is all yours. I'm going to sit back and enjoy these great guests. Very cool. And, Rob, I want to mention, too, that we just are about to announce that our previous ag uh, podcasts, recorded podcasts, are available on iTunes now. So for those of you who missed an episode and uh, would like to catch up, it's all available on on your iTunes app, and you can uh, follow us and um, get past ones as well as future ones. Absolutely. You know, we've got to get you on, figure out how to do you on Skype so we can get the video portion. Ah, there we go. Otherwise, everybody just sees me sitting here listening to you guys. (laughs) Yeah, well, we could give you some uh, more information to show show and tell, and uh, we we could get that together as well. But um, so anyway, we've got a couple of great guests tonight. Um, uh, The first one is uh, someone that that Paul, my colleague here with me uh, tonight, has known for many years as well as myself. And I'm going to let Paul go ahead and introduce him, and uh, we'll kick it off with Mr. Dan Johnson. Dan, are you there? I'm here. Great. Here you Paul. I love it when uh, technology uh, works without a hitch. <laughs> How about for, that? <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us. Sure. Um, if you uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to just uh, introduce you to our listeners. Uh, Dan is a state water management engineer for the United States Department of Agricultural uh, Agriculture Natural Resources Service in Davis, California. The uh, NRCS, as it's known, is an agency of the Department of Agriculture and provides voluntary, technical, and financial assistance to growers. Not that you volunteer, that you volunteer the information. Uh, just wanted to clear that up. You're, <laughs> you're, you're very well uh, 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 needed, and, and we appreciate all the stuff that you do and have done for many, many decades. Thanks. Great. You're um, the mission is to provide leadership in a in a partnership effort to help people conserve, improve, and sustain our natural resources, our environment, and obviously the economy. Dan's particular role is to provide leadership uh, for the NRCS work in California related to irrigation and water management. Welcome to the Water Zone, Dan. Yeah, nice to be here. Thank you uh, again for taking some time and and uh, setting some. Uh, some valuable time at the end of a day to, to uh, talk to us on the water zone and help uh, help uh, educate uh, and enlighten our listeners in uh, in the uh, greater San Bernardino Inland Empire Los Angeles area. Um, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about your background and has and how you as an engineer uh, got it, ended up 
working with farmers and water and water management. Um, I think that might be an interesting uh, discussion for 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 uh, listeners. Well, sure. Well, actually, by uh, by education, I'm actually an agricultural engineer. Uh, there's a very small group of us uh, nationally, um, but uh, yeah. So the ag- ag- the agricultural engineer position is uh, takes the engineering principles and applies it to agriculture. Simply enough, but beyond that, it's just early on. It's just my fascination of the interaction between soil and water, and and how the two produce crops. You know, it's an interesting thing. It's just always been fascinated by that, and it's just led me my career. And in regards to working with the agency and farmers, I just enjoy working with farmers. Uh, they do a heck of a job. They have a lot of responsibility, and I just you know again, I have a lot of respect for them, so I enjoy working with them. And beyond that, I just enjoy the the challenge. We have a lot of technical challenges in the irrigation industry, as everybody knows, in regards to water supply and water quality. And uh, it brings a nice mix of technical challenges as well as social as well as social challenges in regards to communicating things. Sure. Do you uh, come from a farming background? I actually no. I grew up uh, actually in the Central Coast. Uh, uh, you know, we had had maybe an acre of dry land apricots. And uh, so that was the extent of my farming. Other than that, it was working for a, a farmer nearby um, annually you know, during the summers and while I was in college, uh, plowing fields. So that was part of the interest I had is just seeing that soil roll over and roll over so many times from plowing. <laughs> well, that's more of a farm background than most people have. So uh, I, I think you qualify and say that, uh, hey, if you grew up on an acre in a rural environment, you, you can still say you're a farmer. <laughs>
better farmers as well as to help them be more sustainable as well. Absolutely. Well, sustainability and it's, you know, uh, all of our work, uh, we have to meet their objectives. Of course, farmers' objectives, uh, uh, high on their list is, pro- is production. So we understand that and recognize that and value that. Um, but also farmers are, tend to be concerned about resource management. And uh, we know that. And so uh, we like to step in and say, I essentially assess how can we help you with those? How, how can we help you identify resource concerns uh, to put a plan together and maybe provide some financial assistance? Uh, yeah, moving on more to specific things that that uh, the, the federal government offers, uh, the environmental uh, quality incentive program or EQUIP, and then the state program, the SWEEP program, which uh, is uh, the the re- reduction of greenhouse gases while improving irrigation efficiency. We know that they're both available to help on, uh, fund on-farm irrigation improvements. Tell us how these work. Is the NRCS uh, considering any changes in these programs or practices available through uh, EQIP or SWEEP? Right. As you mentioned, uh, EQIP and SWEEP are, are different programs. EQIP is ours. is the USDA NRCS that's been around for uh, many, many, many years. Um, uh, then, but the SWEEP is is the uh, CDFA's California Department of Food and Ag, uh, you know, a program that's very similar to EQIP in what it achieves. Uh, SWEEP tends to focus on, as you say, greenhouse gas emission, but it all it's to a great extent it's achieved through better water management in regards to essentially pumping less water. So many of the practices they provide financial assistance for is similar or equal to ours. In fact, they use and refer to our practice standards uh, for irrigation system improvements. But uh, but beyond that, I, you'd have to refer folks to uh, CDFA and the SWEET program for more information uh, for that on that side. Uh, the way EQIP on uh, our side, the Environmental Quality Center Program, um, it provides, again, financial and technical assistance. It is the financial side of assisting growers with such things as uh, irrigation system improvements, including drip irrigation systems, sprinkler systems, uh, replacing leaky ditches with pipelines or other conveyances, uh, and those kind of things, as well as irrigation water management or the irrigation scheduling side, assistance for that. Um, the way financial assistance works is we have set payment rates, uh, and the intent is that they would offset some of the producer's installation costs, uh, but not all of them. Uh, the program is competitive. Uh, growers submit applications to our local county offices, uh, which are reviewed, uh, and, and uh, environmental benefits, as we call them, are assessed in regards to essentially saying how much good will this practice do for various types of resource concerns. Of course, primarily what we're talking about today is the water side, potentially water conservation or efficiency improvement. And then the, the next step in the process, if uh, if the uh, the benefits are high enough and a con- and, uh, application is selected, then a conservation plan is developed. Again, where we stand back and work with the grower on looking, if they choose to, broader issues on the farm. Um, sometimes the growers take us up on that and and, and address other dish issues. Uh, many times they don't, and so that again, that's up to them. Out of this process, uh, contracts are developed between the government and the and the uh, producer um, for uh, the installation of a practice, agreed upon practice. So, for example, we say an ir- a new irrigation system, and uh, the per- so the contract is developed, and the producer on their own or through a contractor or somebody else will install the practice. Then at which time uh, we'll go out and take a look at it and, and check it against our practice standards and make sure it functions to the grower's satisfaction as well as to ours. And then a payment is made uh, for a partial reimbursement. And so uh, that's the very short version. There's a lot of other details, as you can imagine. And I would just encourage folks to contact our local county NRCS office for details. One one thing I'd like to highlight, if I could, Dan, is the fact that each of the districts that you talked about or the county offices sets their own priorities for the needs within those counties. So, say, for example, a, a farmer or, or a district uh, uh, NRCS office in out in Coachella Valley, their priorities for uh, 
different types of ways to use those uh, environmental incentive funds could be different than those from, say, up in Northern California, for example, where where they need may need uh, more uh, 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 reservoirs to capture the runoff, and say in out in Coachella they may need a more efficient uh, drip irrigation systems and things like that. Is that uh, is that accurate? That's correct. I appreciate that uh, reminding. That that's, a, that's a good point. So we tend to, to the greatest extent possible tend to be try to be locally driven. So again, as, as Paul mentioned, local resource concerns, the priorities, as well as input from our local partners, including resource conservation districts and others. So, so you mentioned, uh, and I, if you if you wanted to move on, you talk about changes um, in the program. Yeah, um, and I think that's a good point. Uh, it's important to bring that up because you know we have uh, there's there, you know the, the program has been around for many many years. And we've been providing assistance on these irrigation system improvements, other improvements for a long time. And uh, some are asking, you know, you know, you know, do we need to continue this? And what's the benefit and so forth? And I think those are excellent questions. You know, like any business, you need to stand back and, and self-evaluate. Uh, and that's what we're doing, um, especially and particularly with irrigation. Uh, you know, the you know, with the the adoption of irrigation, especially irrigation, has has taken a life of its own. As Inge knows, and, and you know, Paul, uh, and it's been it's been great. Uh, the the expansion of uh, the year, these systems that growers have more control of their water as they fly is wonderful. So, with that being said, uh, we'll continue to do that, but we're also looking for opportunities to expand and maybe say, okay, where what's where's what's the new need? You know, if we were to take go to a higher level, what kind of things uh, might we encourage growers to do? Uh, and for example, is with the irrigation system is uh, technologies to better monitor um, how the system is performing. Um, you know, through you know telemetry and technology sensors and technologies for measuring pressure and, and giving data, getting having data accessed by growers simply. Um, that way, they have better control of the operation. So we're we're, we're looking into adding features to our practice standards and our and our suite of of what we provide assistance on. Uh, to cover those kinds of costs, but again, it's still early in the process for how we might structure that. Uh, the other addition to the go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I said it was just great. That's good news. Yes, we're good. Yes, and that's uh, so we, we're looking for feedback and look for you know any ideas along those lines, but also fertigation. Uh, you know, applying nutrients and chemicals uh, through irrigation systems since we have them. Uh, you know, is there an opportunity? Uh, to perhaps improve how we how we control nutrients and and and, uh, and lose less nutrients from a water quality standpoint by having more high tech, if you will, or uh, fertigation systems, meaning where growers could actually spoon feed nutrient applications. With the idea being, the more control you have, the less loss to the environment. So we're exploring those and and, and you know are providing some some pilot financial assistance on some of those systems. Uh, and but. It, all forms of technology, and we'll talk more about technology for uh, tracking crop water use, and even as I just read this today, uh, using maybe using satellites to evaluate irrigation system performance remotely. And I know Jim Jim Anderson will be interested in that. In fact, he's probably very much aware of it. So, um, so with this, each of these processes that we're going through, we do need to. It's a, it is a process. We look at new technologies. Uh, we get a lot of phone calls from folks. Uh, suggesting their technology to provide financial assistance, and we're always interested because we again we do want to expand and move into the twenty first century, if you will, in regards to what kind of services we provide. But with each of those, uh, we do have to first evaluate them, uh, and then if we evaluate, if we see they're credible, uh, then we have to develop design criteria uh, so the practices applied or technologies applied appropriately. So do we have? So we do have a, pro- uh, a process that we follow. Uh, to assure good quality. So that's that's really fantastic that these these public funds are being used to help our producers do a better job, be more sustainable, um, have a consistent food supply for us. But I think we all know that it's not just technology. You know, I mean, a lot of a lot of this funding is for equipment or the new monitoring equipment that you're talking about, or things like drip irrigation. But there's also, I think, we all recognize a big challenge in using that equipment 
uh, optimizing the use of that equipment, and that's behavior for for the farmers themselves. And Dan, you and I talked about this at breakfast a few weeks ago. Like, okay, right. you, they may have all this great new equipment, but now they may need some help in actually operating it. And those who have had it for a while may need help in evaluating it to see how it's doing, and then in uh, remediating it and evaluating it, which, uh, of course, we'll talk with uh, Jim Anschutz on the second half a little more about as well. But tell us about um, some of the tools that, that you're using and promoting to California growers to help them better schedule the irrigation. That's basically when to turn on the valves and for how long, which is a big decision. That That's also a big um, um influencer on how efficient they are. And I, I know you've got a really clever tool that you're uh, using. Tell us about it. Okay. I'll be, yeah, I'd be glad to. Yeah, and it's first a little, a little sales for, for Jim. Yeah, we fully support uh, the, the notion of uh, evaluating system performance. And, in fact, we do provide financial assistance for those services also. So Great. That's, uh, and Jim's aware of that, and so that's a shout-out to help support with when he comes on to, to oh, share right. it. So uh, yeah, so we definitely we we definitely support that strongly. So on the irrigation scheduling side, yeah, you know growers uh, can do a great job with their new irrigation systems, and to a great extent, the irrigation system can uh, improve overall irrigation efficiency. But as as you said, uh, Ingi, uh, if a grower uh, actually runs the system longer than uh, applies more water by running it longer than than applies more water than soil can hold. Or irrigate too soon uh, with the same result, then we've uh, we've lost some of the benefits of the system. Right. Uh, you know, growers they tend to, you know well, one thing we have to mention is that growers they, they really, especially in California, they do a relatively good job of ir- scheduling irrigation uh, just to be able to survive in California and to produce the crops that they do. They generally do a, a pretty good job. And, and, and more and more of them are picking up on technology and using different methods to, to do a better job. So we have to remember that keep that as a starting point. And that, that influences our approach when we talk with them. We, we never want to go with them and say, okay, you're doing it wrong. Here's how to do it right. Right, and right. Of course not. That we, we very quickly get turned around and headed off the property. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Escorted so, out to your pickup. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's absolutely. And it's true. <laughs> And, and that's not exactly true. So, you know, there uh, we've had many years in, in the university and, and agricultural, agricultural research service, the branch of USDA, NRCS, and even around the world have, have worked, been working with growers on doing what they may call more scientific irrigation scheduling, uh, essentially uh, doing a uh, uh, using more data, uh, keeping track of uh, how much water the, if the crop is actually removed from the soil, having some knowledge of uh, what the soil water content is, and having some having knowledge of what the how much water the soil can hold, and combining all those that data together to make better decisions, irrigation scheduling decisions. And to be honest, we've really struggled with that over the years. Uh, you know, those things I mentioned when you talk about recording that and writing those that data down and processing that data, uh, you know, institutionally, we've, we struggled. Again, it's, it's not just NRCS. It's not just California. It's around the world with growers collecting and using data. But on uh, the thing comes technology. And so starting several years ago, they're starting probably with soil moisture sensors uh, to where the grower no longer has to dig a hole to see how what it is down there. Uh, soil moisture sensors have been used uh, to a great extent, but not to the extent we think the potential exists. And then more, most recently, it's been the Internet and communications technology and then also for people and services that want to provide access to those technologies. And that's, that's where I think we've taken a big turn uh, for the positive. And uh, with this, these services, and I believe, I think NRCS, we're concluding in California affordable technology and services that this data can be collected automatically and processed automatically and essentially viewed by the producer on their smartphone. So it's, it's remarkable, and to, I still have to remind myself that, okay, this is not, you know, this is not rocket science. I should say this is not science in the future. It happens right now. 
And NRCS is pretty, is, I believe I've convinced the powers that be in California from, from my agency that we just make that the norm. Wow. Uh, or we have to make that the new norm in California where growers have ready access to information. Well, so that's fantastic. Said, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Dan, I just want to uh, forewarn you, we've got about uh, 30 seconds left until we close to a commercial. Um, that's just fantastic, the sorts of tools that you're able to supply. Anything else you want to add before we um, close to a commercial? Okay. Well, just, you know, what we, we're we started the process where we have our, you know, with all these technologies, kind of form it all down into one standard format. Uh, so because growers have been confused by all these technologies. And so with that standard graphical format that many have seen through soil moisture graphs, uh, maybe with the addition of, of some threshold values on that graph, it's pretty. that's the best description of where we're headed. It's kind of the norm for our standard format. So we're excited about that, and we'll be moving ahead as we work with uh, our growers and with our own field staff, and as we work with partners that uh, provide these technologies. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, thank you for the good work that you and all your agents and all the counties do and linking arms with uh, the state, uh, between the Fed and the state, and this great work to keep our producers uh, <laughs> food, fuel, and fiber for us and at the same time keeping our environment healthy. Uh, we really appreciate you visiting and keep up the good work. Here, here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. You're very welcome. All right. Well, listeners, um, look for the podcast if you'd like to listen to any of this again. And we'll close to a commercial, Rob. Right. And the show is also, this show is going to be repeated next Tuesday night. So stick around for commercial. We'll be back at the Water Zone on KCEA 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, 106.5 FM, and Ustream and KCAARadio.com. Lots of places to watch us and hear us. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. And the lines are open now. Hi, well, welcome back to the Water Zone. Um, host Rob Starr, along with Miss Inky Bisconer and Paul McFadden from our micro irrigation group down in El Cajon. And they have another great guest on, and the lines are open for anybody who wants to call in at 909 888 5222. Or if you're calling outside the 909 area code, you can call 888 909 1050. So back to you, Inky and Paul. All right, thank you, Rob. Um, our next guest is also. Uh, a great guy that I have known for most of my career, and he's going to be telling us a little bit about the work from his company. Jim, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Uh, good to hear you. Uh, uh, from beautiful downtown Fresno, is it, huh? 100 degrees. <laughs> Very good. Uh, right on schedule on the 4th of May. Uh, well, Jim, let me tell the uh, listening audience a little bit about you, and then we'll uh, dive into some uh some uh, conversation. So, All right, very folks, good. Uh, so, folks, Jim is a professional engineer, is the uh, founder and the owner of Ag H2O, and it's a consulting firm in Fresno that provides ag producers with tech solutions to help them control the rising costs of water, energy, and nutrients uh, on their farms. And they do this through practical measurement, as we were talking about earlier, you know, going out and evaluating the system, and then engineering um, system upgrades and retrofits to help... Uh, rectify um, the things that they find in those evaluations. So they use, you know, proven available components used by the global water industry, and um, the result is a more efficient farm and a more profitable farm that uh, pays things back um, in, in a short um, uh, return on investment time frame, often under two years. Um, training is also a key thing that Ag H2O does, and we'll talk about that uh, in a few moments, too. So... Jim, you were raised in Central California, and before founding your consulting company, you, you have a unique background. You've worked on large corporate farms. You've worked for irrigation districts. You've worked for irrigation equipment manufacturers, both domestically and abroad. And so you've got unique insights. Um, so one thing I'd like to ask you to share with the listening audience is how would you characterize the state of today's irrigated agriculture here in California and, and really in the West? Well, thank you for having me first off. Um, I think uh, asking how I would characterize it, I'd say that uh, today irrigated agriculture, especially here in the West, is much more closely scrutinized. And uh, this is actually 
good. It's uh, leading to the need to evaluate our current practices. It's uh, leading to exploring technological solutions to some of the problems that we have and some of the new problems that uh, we've had in the last uh, seven years of drought. And we're also uh, facing, and this is just an inevitable of life, more uh, regulation. So agriculture, irrigated agriculture here in the West is is really uh, been focused on, and I think that uh, that's going to be something which will help improve our overall performance and use of the limited water supply that we have here. So, Jim, when you say increased scrutiny, where is the scrutiny coming from? Public, uh, governmental, uh, local level, national? I'm curious about Yeah, I, I think it's coming from everywhere. You know, when things become in short supply, people start looking around at who the users are. And agriculture is a large user of our water supplies. It does uh, provide the food and fiber that we need. But as you drive down uh, through the state of California on I-5, you look out to the west and you see all that water on the ground, and you are a homeowner, you start thinking, wait a minute, I'm having to restrict the amount of water that I use and look at all the water that's being used out there. And we in agriculture don't do a very good job of telling our story. Yes, that water is being used, but actually it's not being used by the farmer. It's being used by the consumer. Every time we consume food, we consume that water. So the scrutiny is, is all over, and that scrutiny has come just due to the fact that we're all much more aware how limited our water supplies are. Um, you know, it's interesting, uh, water and the lack of water uh, over the last five years and then this past winter we had a, an, an enormous uh, uh, blessing of, of rainfall and uh, we, almost too much water in some parts of the state. You know, water and energy are cl- closely related. How do you help uh, folks understand uh, how to optimize both of those uh, along with conserving in, in when there when there isn't much water around, and then how do you know nutrients or fertilizers are, are play a role in that too in the production of, of food? How do you how do you reconcile all that, Jim? Well, we uh, we focus on specifically uh, irrigation systems that growers are currently using. Irrigation systems are what consume the energy. I'm talking on farms. So I'm not talking about energy of transporting water throughout the state, and et cetera. That's another topic. But we focus on the, the end user with the irrigation systems, like I say, which uses energy and uses the water. We have about uh, four and a half million acres of drip micro-irrigation systems. That's supposed to be the state of the art. Well, it's state of the art, which was developed about 30 years ago. So we've installed in California about 4.5 million acres of drip microsystems. Many of those systems, a large majority of them, have degraded in their performance. That doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. So you don't see it until you have a shortage of water in particular. And just like my lawn here in Fresno, I start to see brown spots. I realize I have a sprinkler that's probably not working well. So... What our company does is we work with growers, and I think even Dan from the NRCS talked about this earlier. We help to evaluate the performance of the system. And there's tools that have been developed out there in order to gather that data and make that calculation. But we take it several further, we take it several steps further. We don't just evaluate in order to provide you with some level of measurement of your performance. We look at that performance, we evaluate the numbers, we evaluate the data that we collect, and we find out where in the system the performance is degraded. Then we come up with engineered solutions for those problems that we find. We then put a cost to those. And then the performance improvement because of those upgrades or retrofits will help to offset that cost, and we can actually show a return on the the investment. Once a grower has seen any systems degraded, and many of them significantly, and he sees what he needs to do, how much it costs, he can then see when he's going to get his return on his investment. 
That's what all growers, that's what everybody's interested in. And most importantly, when he makes that investment, we provide the education. How did your system degrade to that particular point, and what do you need to do not to let that happen? And growers are paying real particular attention to that, especially once you've demonstrated how much that degradation has cost them over the years. So the education becomes extremely important. And then afterwards, to show him how to measure and check to ensure that his system is performing the way that it is. So that's a service, an all-inclusive service that we as, a, as an organization supply. And like I say, for many years we've had programs which will evaluate the performance, but then very few people do anything once they receive that number because solutions haven't been brought forward to them and then demonstrated means of paying back that investment. So, so Jim, I'm uh, curious how the farmers are, uh, if they're receptive to this, because, you know, for forever they've been, you know, farming is a demanding job, and they have all sorts of experts and um, help that, that they hire for their, you know, fertility and for their pest control and uh, for banking and mechanics and uh, cropping plants, all of those other um areas of expertise that are needed to run a successful farm, but water has not typically been one of those areas where they've hired help uh, to, to you know, optimize their, their irrigation. Are they being receptive to this? Well, your point's well taken because farmers are extremely busy, and they have lots of things that they need to consider on a daily basis. And in lots of areas of their operation, they do depend upon experts to provide them with guidance. For a multitude of reasons, irrigation hasn't been one of those areas that they've reached out and utilized experts in helping them because it has been looked at as watering, quote, unquote, watering. So as long as the ground is wet, and that doesn't mean that there's sufficient amounts of water going on, they're watering. That's changed and changed significantly over the last few years. They're becoming more and more aware that it's not just water that they're putting through those systems. They're putting energy through those systems. They're putting nutrients through those systems. And that water and energy and nutrient is what actually provides the crop with what it needs in order to, um, to maximize the yield. So they're becoming much more receptive. The problem is, is there's not a lot of irrigation experts out there for the fact that farmers have not been willing to pay for that type of service. I think with uh, some of the new uh, regulations, some of the education being done with the, uh, the younger PCAs and the uh, certified crop consultants, I think you're going to see growers are going to realize that irrigation expertise is as, as important as somebody that uh, makes recommendations on fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, etc. So I think we've turned the corner on this, and this leads to something I'd like to talk about sometime in this uh, discussion is the need for education. Yeah, we definitely want to circle back to education, and we'll, we'll make sure that we have time. And I, I just wanted to add to what you just said that, um, you know, a, a prominent um, uh, crop consultant in central California uh, told me that 80% of the calls that he goes on are not pest control or diseases or weeds or those sorts of things. They are water-related. People, uh, farmers are having issues with their crops because there's something wrong with the water. Either Mostly it's overwatering, uh, perhaps underwatering, or unevenly watering. So uh, I'm glad to hear from your perspective, too, that, that farmers recognize that irrigation is so important for achieving a profitable, productive farm. So uh, we'll come back to education, but Paul has a question for you, and uh, and we'll break here in five minutes for a short break, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about education, Jim. All right, very good. Thank you. Yes, Paul. Jim, um, you know, we uh, Dan Johnson from the NSGS, our, our earlier guest, talked about uh, their organization looking at technology as a possible uh add-on to some of the things that they're doing, uh, soil moisture monitoring, telemetry, things of that nature. 
Um, it seems like uh, it's uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, technology right now and how it's going to help uh, us all uh, be better in the ag industry. You've been in the uh, industry a long time, not just locally, but uh, regionally and around the world. Uh, and you're right there in the uh, water, water, G, the water energy and technology center at Fresno State, seeing things come and go. All the latest uh, stuff goes to the university. What are some things that you're seeing that are exciting? Okay, so first you asked me about exciting. I'll come back to that. So what am I seeing? I'm seeing an awful lot of technology suppliers uh, converge on uh, the irrigation industry, the agricultural irrigation industry. And it's mostly monitoring equipment, mostly control equipment, and they're, they're improving the collection of the data and the transmission of the data. And where we're not hitting the mark is we're not building the equipment which matches the grower's requirements or the environment that he operates in. So it's exciting to see a lot of people interested in this industry, but I, I'm not seeing a lot of significant uh, improvements in the product to the point that it can be applied properly. And therein lies a problem. Now, the thing that's exciting is there are a few companies that have been around for quite some time, and I'm seeing much more robust equipment because if you look at the environment that we deal in, it's it's extremely hostile out there. So I'm seeing much more robust equipment. I'm seeing equipment that's being developed that's easier to install, understand, operate. And I'm seeing a great deal of uh, improvement in the development of software that's much more user-friendly. I think what we're going to see that's coming, the next step in these companies are to finally realize we're collecting the data. It's very accurate. We need to make the equipment robust. It needs to be friendly to the grower. But I think the next step is, and this is what excites me, is I think we're seeing now the development of equipment which is going to be self-diagnostic because that's a problem. It's put out there. It's left to itself, and it's typically broken and not being used before the owner realizes that the equipment's uh, not functioning properly. So just like with tractors, we have tractors which will self-diagnose. They'll actually send information to the dealer that it's time to service or this particular piece of equipment is not working properly. They'll even place orders so that the equipment is in place at the dealers before the equipment breaks. So I think the refinement of the data collection, improved transmission of the data, more robust equipment, making it more user-friendly, and then self-diagnostic equipment will help us be more successful with the uh, the technologies that we're currently working on from a measurement standpoint. And measurement is where the, I don't want to say breakthrough in development, but breakthrough in application is going to come from. Not so much an improvement in the equipment that we use to irrigate, the emitters and the tubing and the pipe and et cetera, but more from a measurement standpoint because growers need to measure in order to understand what's taking place so that they can correct and improve their operations in the field. One uh, quick question, Jim. Where is this technology coming from? Uh, there's a lot of stuff that has historically come from Israel and and from uh, Australia and a lot from the U.S. Where, where in the minute we have left before the break, where do you see, uh, where do you see most of this technology coming from, or all three for well, it continues to come from Israel. I mean, they've always been a leader in uh, effective and efficient water use in agriculture. But there's been some uh, real unique startups out in Australia, and that's probably even a much more hostile environment than uh, areas in the Middle East in, uh, in Israel. And uh, the stress upon their water supplies down there is great. So we've seen a lot of innovations, and some of the most robust equipment that we've seen to date is actually coming out of Australia now. And they're just now beginning to uh, uh, to move into the U.S. marketplace, so we expect some exciting things out of them. Excellent. Well, I think we're up uh, against a break, but uh, we'll be back in a few minutes to talk about education. 
Rob? Yep. And if any of you remember Alfred Hitchcock, his famous thing was, and now a word from our sponsor. We'll be back to the Water Zone in just a sec. This is the Schmidt's Yard. Companies coming soon, and, oh, Schmidt, their deck and outdoor furniture's been dominated by dirt. But no worries, there's plenty of time for Scott's Outdoor Cleaner plus OxyClean to work its magic. Its fast-foaming action lifts dirt and wipes out stains from moss, mold, mildew, and algae. Guaranteed. All while being safe to use around plants and grass. Because when company's coming, dirt's not invited. This is a Scott's Yard. Pick up Scott's Outdoor Cleaner this weekend. We're back with the water zone and uh, heading back to the micro-irrigation team at uh, Toro. So, uh, Paul, take it away. All right. Thank you, Rob. So, Jim, just a little follow-up on what we were just talking about, about technology. You talked about, um, you know, equipment and monitoring equipment. And I would imagine uh, also that there's a challenge in interpreting all of that data that comes from this new monitoring equipment. And, you know, I think you alluded to the software that is uh, evolving to help with that. But um, um, I, I guess that's a good segue into education because at the end of the day, we can have all these gadgets and all this equipment out there, but it takes a human being to interpret it, look at it, and make a decision from it. And um, so... Uh, so I know that you have a big passion for education, and you've got excellent ideas about how to train up that next generation of farm technology professionals. It may not be the farmer himself. He may be hiring somebody to do this. How would you um, go forward in developing policies and programs and ag-related curriculum uh, to do a better job on the farm and uh, give the farmers the help they need? Okay, well, thanks for the opportunity to talk about that. Before I do, I'll, I'll just make a comment on, on your comment on following up prior to the commercial there. Um, I think the next breakthrough that we're going to see and something I hear farmers wanting from a piece of equipment is they don't want to analyze the information. They want the information to be analyzed within the equipment and recommendations made to them. And that's a real hurdle for manufacturers now because of the liability of making recommendations. But that's what the marketplace is asking for. You have the equipment. You've demonstrated to me it works. It provides me with reliable information. I don't want to have to analyze it, have it give recommendations to me. That doesn't mean that we won't continue to need people or, or educated individuals. But the equipment eventually is going to help us there in making recommendations. But from an education standpoint, we don't need a lot of irrigation engineers in irrigated agriculture. We have engineers, we have talented designers. What we need are people that can actually operate the systems, understand how to operate them properly, how to schedule the irrigations, how to utilize the equipment, uh, the measuring equipment, and, and how to make decisions. So I've long thought that there needed to be some simple educational courses developed in order to train those people that are working with those systems on a daily basis. We also need formal education. So we need somebody between the individuals operating the systems and the engineers that design the systems. And those are technicians. And I've been a big advocate of developing technician-type programs, like welding programs, like automo uh, automobile repair programs. We need those types of programs in agriculture. Recently, I became aware, and they were flying under the radar, Modesto Junior College up Modesto has developed an excellent two-year technician program, teaching people some of the basic concepts. They've involved industry to develop their curriculum. They have an outstanding two-year program to teach that person, which is between the engineer and the people in the field actually operating the systems. They also have, uh, they've developed out of that, uh, certificates of completion. So instead of a semester-long course in how to schedule irrigations. They have short courses to teach practical application of irrigation scheduling techniques. As I say, they've been flying under the radar. I've been advocating for this and was not even aware 
that someone had actually developed and put in place and was implementing. I've challenged them recently, we all have, to get more industry people involved in fleshing out their curriculum because academic institutions forget that we're actually the customers. They need to develop product, which are the students for our customers. The industry is more than willing to participate in the development of the curriculum, not teach it, they're the teachers, but to assist in the development of the curriculum so that they're training people or their customers, and that's us in the irrigation industry. I think we also need to be uh, very much aware that sitting in the classroom, I'm not sure how much longer that's going to be an effective way to teach people. We're going to have to realize that the young people coming out of high school now have smartphones and tablets and computers and etc. And they like to work at things on their own pace or when they have time. So we need to get creative and adopt in agriculture uh, e-learning. We've done several e-learning programs for people like Simplot, Bayer, PGE, and etc. Someone can go through those programs learn the need-to-knows, and actually then apply them. And once they've learned them, they can actually share with others that need the same type of training. So I think we need to sit back as an entire educational industry. That's us in the industry and the educators, uh, the universities, etc., and say, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. How can we do something much more consistent and much more structured for those people that want to learn about irrigation and agri- uh, irrigated agriculture. So I think there's a time for us all to take a deep breath and not everybody be off doing their own thing, but look around to see what others have done and bring together some consistency on how it is we're going to transfer this knowledge. Most of us in this industry obtain knowledge not only from academic uh, studies, but through the years of making mistakes and correcting them. We want to shorten that time. We want, we want them to learn from our mistakes, and we need to come up with uh, good, viable means of providing that information to them. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense, Jim, because like you said, we don't need four-year or, you know, engineers or um, even agronomic um, degrees to run these irrigation systems. We need technicians that just understand the basics about soil and water, and that would be a good middle-class job that would attract folks you know, graduating from high school who don't necessarily want to go get a four-year or six-year degree. And it's a badly needed skill on the farm to make sense of these systems uh, without requiring an engineer or a full-blown agronomist. So I I applaud you for um, spearheading this effort that I know that you are doing to uh, uh, circle the wagons around these Modesto folks and maybe uh, get this done in uh, other um, agricultural communities that, that need these students. And e-learning, I, I think that's a great concept, too, is to be able to teach via, via computer, because the new generation, that's how, that's how they learn. So, uh, Paul, you want to wrap up? Give any, uh, any final thoughts? You've uh, given us a lot to chew on tonight. Any, uh, in the minutes we have left, any final thoughts uh, for, the, for the listeners on on anything that you're doing or that you're seeing or the future of, of where we're headed as a, as a state in the ag uh, sector? Well, just as of today, I had the opportunity via Toro to share with a group of students here at Fresno State in an hour and 45-minute class your design program. And I saw enthusiasm on their face. 